Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to our latest episode of In the Grad Scheme of Things. Ready to level up your career? Let's get into it. Today we are joined with the Managing Director of Early Talent, Amelia, (laughs) and she's been in the world of recruitment for over 10 years now. Yeah, that makes me feel really old, especially <laughs> as the fact that you just did your B-reel <laughs> to start <laughs> off. Like yeah, prior to us actually hitting record, Amelia's been making all these references and they've just gone straight over our head. I know. Yeah. <laughs> what she's talking I know. about. Different generation, Amelia. Yeah, different Instagram targeting range, I think. <laughs> So now we've covered how to finesse the first stage, it's only right we let you know how to nail your interview. Yeah, 100%. I feel like the interview stage is really when you're given the space to shine and showcase who you really are. Yeah, absolutely. I completely (laughs) agree with that. I mean, sometimes people think that an application process, especially for a grad scheme, they're either thinking about like, what are the chances? How many thousands of applications? How many tests am I going to get to? Mm-hmm. And there definitely is a sentiment, you know, when you're applying for your first grad job, like spam those applications everywhere. <laughs> I definitely think that the idea is like to make it through to the interview should feel like a real achievement mm-hmm. um, because most companies, you know, thousands of applications, they've got some kind of metric or screening process, whether or not that's first round interview or whether or not that's a certain test to get it down to the interview. But if we're yeah. equating an interview with an assessment centre, it is absolutely the time to, uh, you know, turn on the jazz hands, if for mm. want of a better phrase, and really show what you can offer a company and I suppose get a sense of what they can offer you. So Perfect. how much prep should be done beforehand when it comes to an interview? There are some easy things that you should know about all interview. Absolutely know the preparation and it can start as simply as where you're going. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Like, Prepare your route. Yeah. Um, the amount of people I've had turn up for assessment centres or grad schemes who have gone, oh, I went to the wrong office. Mm. Or uh, I, you know, miscalculated the train times. Definitely prepare, like, route. Anything logistical that could happen. Yeah. Sounds really silly. Prepare what you're going to wear. And uh, I always think, and this reminds me a lot of Anna Wintour's um, Masterclass, another epic <laughs> podcast that you might not have heard about. But she always says, you know, it's better to be slightly overdressed. Yeah. And I definitely agree with that. Like, you want to be smart. That being said, if the vibe of the company is, you know, they walk around in trainers and sweatshirts, mm-hmm. you don't need to wear a three-piece suit. Which actually, yeah. just thinking about it, you can get a really good idea because they should have a lot of people imagery on their website. Match what they're wearing on yeah. the website. Yeah, because I was going to say, who do you actually ask? Yeah. If you're not liaising with the recruiter or anything, who do you actually ask to know yeah. what the dress code is? In terms of content and knowledge, what would you advise going in, in into an interview that you need to prepare and know beforehand? Um, you really need to understand the job you're applying for. Yeah. And that starts by looking at the job description reading that, knowing what each part of it means. Yeah. And if there isn't a part, researching it first, so seeing if you find out online or through asking other people, or if it's really niche and like nobody has ever heard of it, market's a question. Yeah. Market's a question. Because yeah. they probably put it on there to see who's going to ask a question <laughs> about it and be like, yeah. that's weird, I haven't heard of that before. And so really understand the job you're applying for. Understand the business that you're applying to as well. So for example, to take wiser, you might be applying to early talent, but actually we have an employer brand side of our business as well. So you would expect some knowledge of what the rest of the business does and how Mm -hmm. it all fits together. 
then increasingly be thinking about what are the key competencies they're looking for and how have you shown that Mm. and what are the company's values, what's the company's history. Mm. And then lastly, although this isn't always the case, especially in like grad schemes and ACEs, having an idea if you are given the specific name of someone to meet, have an idea of what their background has been like. So when you're kind of having a look at their LinkedIn page, what's the vibe on bringing up that information in the interview? Can you say that you've had a little cheeky stalk of their page? <laughs> I would absolutely say that you've had a cheeky stalk. But you can make a joke of it. You can say, yeah. oh, I've completely stalked you. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've just got to be really open about it. Yeah. Like, if I was to go into an interview and be like, I, I saw when you were 18, you worked part-time at Costa 2. That feels a bit, <laughs> that feels a bit unnatural. Yeah, or like still. walk into an interview with a Costa cup and be like, did you work at Costa yeah. 2? That, that feels weird. But I think um, walking in and being like, be totally honest I had a look at your profile before joining I can see you did that experience that's so interesting yeah yeah that is like cool kudos if somebody said that to me yeah Yeah. I'd be like great yeah I can talk to you about that never underestimate how much people like talking about themselves yeah that should never be underestimated that's a recruiter especially biggest tool people the easiest subject for someone to talk about is themselves because that's the one thing they know back to back. It's their self. So if you can build rapport by asking questions and uh, helping the interviewer, you know, feel comfortable, but also find mutual ground, that's great. And they're yeah. going to feel comfortable talking about themselves. So quick winner bin for you. Yeah. What are your thoughts on having like pre-prepared scenarios that you can use and bring up in the interview? So like, if you've got a piece of group work that you know you've shown resilience or organisational skills in, what's your opinion? Is it a win or bin to have those kind of pre-prepared situations that you're ready to bring up? When in interviews you're nervous, yeah, having something that you can fall back on, again, that you know in detail, do it. Absolutely. Preparation is key. But also, if you know it and you can fall back on it and you think it's a good example, especially if it's a competency-based interview, yeah, absolutely. Win. When, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, my only thing about that, my only caveat is I've found that people then become really rigid and it sounds a bit rehearsed. And if the question doesn't exactly fit what they had prepared, yeah. it just doesn't actually answer the It question. sounds like they've missed the question a bit. Yeah, so there's, but I suppose there's a difference between having a set of really well-prepared answers mm. that you can fall back on if they fit the question yeah. and then using them if... Like somebody goes, tell me about a really great time that you've collaborated with a wide range of different stakeholders to achieve an outcome. And you're like, huh. So actually, I'm going to talk about resilience. Like that, <laughs> That's not the crack. But yeah. I think that uh, you have to make sure that the answers you have are varied mm. and you know how they can be used in multiple ways. And usually, actually, the best thing to do is have three or four situations. Yeah. Now, a situation is never just one skill. Yeah. You've probably collaborated, you've shown resilience, you've... Uh, yeah, exactly. All in those situations. Yeah. The key is to have four situations and know that you've shown five different things mm-hmm. so that no matter what they make the question about, you can, you can almost like dial up the answer of one whilst also referencing some others. Yeah, love that. So next one will be, candidate knows the values but can't choose between them. Um... I think it's great. A massive win when a candidate knows the values of an organisation. And I actually think linked to, you know, the rise of employer brand and the importance of EVP. The values of a company are really important. Yeah. Um, And candidates should definitely look at them. Not being able to choose between them. I mean, 
it would be good if they have like a if I can't choose between them these are my top two and these yeah. are why they're the top two and these are why I'm struggling to choose between them mm. again like in those interviews it's actually never a right or wrong answer yeah. Yeah. nobody's saying like oh yeah well you've picked the <laughs> the most irrelevant value we have mm. the company's never going to turn around about saying that they're yeah. thinking about your thought process how you've taken it in related it to yourself are able to think about it critically i think it's important just to always have a strong narrative when it comes yeah. to that not just kind of copying out and being like oh can't choose love yeah. more yeah yeah it's a bit like if you came to work at wise and you're like what's your favorite one and it would be like make moves why because i like to make moves and it's like <laughs> great <laughs> insightful yeah. answer thank you another thing i think that companies are starting to do more they want to see like which of your values you'd struggle with mm. Because, you know, walking in and saying all of these values align with my values, great. But values are usually action-orientated. And you can usually say in in quite a compelling way, this is the value I would work on most or that aren't as strong as my others. And I think that there's often a a trope, isn't there? You have to say a weakness in an interview. So you have to say, you know, I'm just too (laughs) organised. And, and, you know, it really slows me down. Too much of a perfectionist. Yeah, I'm too much of a perfectionist. Those are done. And uh, when you hear those kind of things or when they're brought up, it's a bit of a cliche. Mm. You kind of go, okay, of course you are. Oh, right. But actually, I think that with the rise of authenticity being really important and, you know, seeing that as a driver definitely in Gen Z, more and more so people are saying, actually, this is why I would struggle with it. This is why I know it's important. Mm. And being really authentic and transparent about that can differentiate you in a whole different way. And I've been in so many, you know, decision-making sessions, wash-ups, you know, after ACs and uh, throughout recruitment when you get feedback from clients. And there's very rarely a time when a candidate has been open and honest about what they think they need to improve that hasn't gone down badly. Because I suppose if if you think about it from the hirer's perspective, right, fundamentally, this is the person who wants to hire you. Do they want someone who they feel is sugarcoating things to get the job? Or do they want someone who can critically analyse their own skill set and identify where they can improve? Yeah. yeah. And if you can say, this is what I've achieved and I still have this to improve on, they'll go, great, that means you can go even more in our organisation. If you say, no, I'm great at everything they're going to be that and this is what you've achieved so how are we going to be able to dial anything up about you that's nice for students to hear that they can actually be open and authentic about the stuff that they're working on as well and want to improve on in a role yeah and like i think as long as you frame it as you know i want to improve and again there's always those funny things like saying i fundamentally never turn up on time or (laughs) i hate working with people or i hate deadlines like (laughs) maybe think about that a little bit basically what we're saying is be authentic and be positive, uh, but don't give it all out. Right, next one up in. The candidate has a list of about six or seven questions to ask you once the interview's over. Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> one. Yeah, one, those questions better not have an answer on a website or on the job <laughs> description. That is my main thing when yeah. it's kind of why, like if somebody asks, what's the company values? It's like, oh. You should know yeah, this. you should know this. Like, yeah. do your research beforehand. Um, I think it's great to have a range of questions. I think one to three questions is pretty much perfect. I think yeah. six or seven might be a bit of a bit. That's a bit much. Yeah. I also think that people make the mistake of not treating an interview like a conversation. 
Mm. And during the course of a conversation, you would ask questions. Naturally. Yeah, yeah. You would naturally go, what do you mean by this? Is mm. this an example of this? Uh, it's interesting you say that. Does that mean this is going to happen? And really, a good interview, especially if it's you know moving away from that really scripted, competency-based yeah. interview, should be a back and forth of information. Imagine a date. Mm. Like, you yeah. ask questions. Yeah. And you're effectively lining up whether this person could be a right fit for you. Mm. Kind of like an interview. I love yeah. that. And so, actually, like, you should be asking questions for the get-go. It's not yeah. like you go on a date and you say, right, so I'm going to ask my questions first and then you get to the end and then you <laughs> ask your questions. Like, that feels quite unnatural. Yeah. Um, I also think that really takes the pressure off yourself as a candidate as well because you're putting it back on them at times. It's conversational. It's two-way street. Yeah. And, yeah, it kind of allows you to put your nerves at ease a bit. Yeah. What do you think about when candidates ask at the end of an interview, have I done everything I can to show you I'm the right candidate? I actually, uh, personally, it's a no. Mm. It it sounds, I I love the spirit with which it's intended. (laughs) And yeah, yeah, I love that because it's like, have I done everything? Please let me do everything. And that's great. First of all, kind of gives me a bit of an ick. Yeah. Like, let's be completely honest. It's a bit like, well, because they either have... And you're thinking, yes, you have, in which case you're going to turn around and be like, yes, you have. Mm. But if no matter what an interviewer says to a candidate at that point in time, you know, they're either going to say, yes, you have, and then they're not going to get the job. And then yeah. the candidate's going to be like, but I showed you and you said me anything. Yeah. And what it kind of feels in that dynamic is you're trying to, okay, let's use a dating analogy, end of a really, really good first date. If you turned around and went, have I done everything I can to, you know, ensure the second and third date right now? Have I ticked all your boxes? (laughs) That's quite intense. Yes, that's quite intense, isn't it? So, uh, you know, that could create that dynamic. Right, next winner bin. We've spoken about a lot of wins. I think this one could potentially be a bin. Okay. The candidate is late to the interview and messages you after apologising profusely. If you are late to an interview, message before. Anything (laughs) else is a bin. What if they're an A&E? I think move the interview altogether. Well, if they're physically unable to message <laughs> or uh, let anyone know, then absolutely, if you are in A&E, don't worry about your interview. Yeah. But I think if it's things like you're running late or the train's been cancelled, there's been a lot of train strikes recently, yeah. you know, anything like that, message beforehand. Uh, you can't control every factor yeah. that is going to affect whether or not you arrive on time to an interview you can affect when you tell them about it. Great. Next one or bin. Candidate asks about the salary at the end of the interview. So this is a... So for most grad schemes, the salary is advertised nowadays. So I think that you probably have a good idea of what the starting salary should look like, especially Mm -hmm. if going on to a larger grad scheme. Um, For ones where it's probably not, and occasionally it might still be listed as competitive. Mm. What does competitive mean? Um... I actually wouldn't bring up the salary. Um, I would email separately, email the HR team or the recruiter running the process. If you're talking to hiring managers or people who are going to be on the team, um, avoid that topic uh, during an interview. Okay, Bin. So next one, you can see wet towels in the background of a virtual interview. (laughs) I think your face says it all. <laughs> my my inspiration for this came off me. I always have my wet towels hanging on my banister and I've started seeing them in calls and I just have to shove them wow. to the side. Yeah. I probably shouldn't have confessed that to yeah. I have had, I have had underwear. That oh, was like, oh. not my own underwear. 
but a candidate's underwear oh, in the back. Know. Yeah, I know. And then, yeah. like, I feel really awkward. Um, wet towels. I mean, wind that they've hopefully been used and that the person is clean. Yeah. Yeah. Wet towels yeah. is a very specific thing as well. Not just <laughs> towels. They have to be wet. I don't know how I'd tell that they were like wet. Like I said, yeah. the inspo was a bit personal. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> Rocky's wet towel um, in the back of the interview. No, I... Uh, I think that be a bit of a bin. Yeah. yeah. Like, it is very simple as part of interview prep to think about Blur. what's going on behind you. Mm-hmm. Blur it or move it. Yeah. Like, to not do that just looks a bit haphazard. What do you think about when people do a different setting as their background? You know, some put a coffee shop on, a library. It's not my vibe. <laughs> I think try and have a natural background. If you mm, fundamentally, yeah. there is, I don't know, a mural on your wall... Uh, I've seen some very interesting posters during my day. <laughs> but uh, you can put on a background. Uh, hey, why not make a background for yourself out of the company's office? There we yeah. go. Um, right, next one. What if a candidate mispronounces the name of the company? Oh, bin. Really? Yeah. Ooh. How do you know, though? You can look it up on Google. Let's have a look. Uh, yeah, see, I just typed into Google. Here we go. Uh, how to pronounce Hyundai. Yeah, that is a hard one. And? Hyundai. There we go. Yeah, there you Google go. will tell you, peeps. Google will tell you. And if not, chat GPT, I'm sure can. <laughs> Our new best friend. Yeah. Right, next one. Candidate talks over the interviewer because they're so excited to answer the question. Ben. You said be enthusiastic. Ben. Really? Nobody likes an interrupter and I say that in despite of myself. <laughs> Straight in the bin. Yeah. Don't do it. Right, good to know. Always work. And if you do interrupt someone and it's not a part of natural conversation, go, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Mm. Be aware of your downfalls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100%. If anything, a career without failure or rejection isn't a career because mm. when you do hard things, you fail at them and you have to read any motivational speech or any business book, you know, failure usually like leads to a better outcome somewhere along the line if you react to it better and I think so take that mentality when you're going for these interviews for your first job which is rejection it's very rarely personal yeah Mm. it's usually because there's been someone else who has better levels of skills requirements previous experience if that's relevant it's not usually relevant these days who has done a better job Mm. so reflect on that ask for feedback great well thank you so much for coming on the podcast today yeah it's been very glamorous (laughs) do you have any parting Uh, words of wisdom for our listeners um parting words of wisdom so i think there is a reason it is called early careers early talent emerging talent yeah it's it's designed all of these grad schemes and these internships apprenticeships are designed to give you an insight and to start your career. I think there's a huge amount of pressure nowadays on people starting their career to feel like they have to kind of be ready to do their career mm-hmm. by the time they start it. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh no, I'm 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 really good at all of this. Mm. And uh yes, it's really important that you have key skills that they are looking for. And they're going to think, are you a cultural fit? Do you align with our company values? Are you going to add worth and value to our organisation? But I think my one piece of advice would be 
don't be scared to not be the finished article when you walk in. Yeah. Like, see it as a learning opportunity because that is what it is. And, you know, the average number of jobs, the average number of careers that Gen Z has is three or four. And Mm. that has changed. It used to be the case you went into a career, you stayed there 45 years later, you know, you went out of it. Now, you're probably going to jump around a bit. And you might find things interesting. And what you find interesting in five years' time probably isn't what you're interviewing for now. And I think keep that attitude with it because, yeah, it is the start of something and it isn't the end to what either university or your school life has already prepared you for. Amazing. Thanks, Amelia. Right, Rocky, listeners' dilemma time. Are you ready? I'm ready. So this listener has said, is it better to find a mentor and follow their guidance closely or should I focus on carving my own path and taking risks without relying too much on external advice? What a good question. Such a good question. When I saw this come in, I was like, we have to get to this straight away. (laughs) Um, It's really interesting as well because we've had loads of our guests come on here and talk about mentorship and the importance of mentorship. Um, one of their key learnings has been that you shouldn't have one mentor for the entirety of your lifetime and that it's okay to have different mentors simultaneously that play to different strengths of yours. Yeah, 100%. And it seems when they were talking about these mentors that each of them have helped shape the individual that they became. Mm -hmm. So they're not trying to mimic their mentors. They're just taking their mentors' learnings and applying it to their own life because you can have a mentor that you follow religiously and you will still make your own mistakes in life. Yeah. Your path is completely different to theirs. So know that just to take their learnings, but you are going to make your own mistakes and have to learn on your own accord. Yep. And how you take on that advice will be different for every person. So you'll still shape your own path with the advice of a mentor, I think. Yeah. And I think just to add on that, trust your gut instinct, though. If your gut instinct is telling you to take a risk that maybe your mentors don't advise, but you really have faith in it, I would take that leap. You're young. You might as well just take that leap of faith. We hope you're feeling inspired to kickstart your career after that chat. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow us and help us reach more students across the country. Bye. Bye.